Let me invite you to stand and turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1, and we've been in John chapter 1, the prologue to John leading up to Christmas, and I hope this short series has helped you in your understanding of Christmas, help you grow in your celebration, enjoy this time of year, and now I want to give you something that hopefully will enhance your celebration the rest of the day, and that'll be from John chapter 1, and I'll read verses 14 through 18. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Let's turn to the Lord again. Please pray with me. Oh Lord, we ask that today you would continue to bless us by receiving the gift of your word, feeding on it. Would you sustain and grow our faith? Uh, use even this sermon to do that. And we pray your blessing on our time in your word this morning in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Eli Weissel, a Holocaust survivor, wrote a very important book about his situation in surviving the Holocaust. He wrote the book Night and was later given the Pulitzer Prize for some of his writings. And in his book entitled Night, it's a very dark book, as the title suggests. It's sort of a coming-of-age story Except instead of coming to age, he really loses hope in the midst of recounting his cruel treatment at the hands of the Nazis. And on one occasion that he recounts in this book, a particularly painful thing happens. And he heard another prisoner who was held there at the death camp with him, heard another prisoner call out and say, where is God? In the midst of this, where is God? And bubbling up from Eli Weissel came this response. He is on the gallows. That is him, on the gallows. It's a, it's a hopeless response, isn't it? In the face of everything that they were suffering in the Holocaust and all the cruel treatment, as it were, losing touch with the goodness of God. You know, back in... Uh, 2015, after a particular violent episode here in this country, the New York Daily News ran a headline. And the headline read this way, God isn't going to fix this. You know, we may at times experience very painful things in our life that make us feel that God is distant. We may wonder, how do I know, how do I really know that God cares and that he's here with me? How can I be assured of God's love? I want to tell you, up against the worst circumstances, 
like a holocaust. The worst violence, the worst episodes that show us everything that is wrong in this world. I want to tell you, Christmas is the unequivocal, in-your-face statement that God is for us. God is for us. Christmas is the annual celebration up against the darkness of this world that says God is for us. God is for us. That's what I want you to walk away with this morning here on Christmas Day. You know, a lot of good theology has died shipwrecked on the rocks of people's experiences. They experience something painful in their life. And the answer is to double down on who God is in his very character, but instead people give up. Christmas communicates to us the truth of Romans 8, 31 and 32, and we read there this good news. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? That is the wonder and the blessing of Christmas. That is what makes Christmas good. Christmas is the statement forever throughout all redemptive history past and all redemptive history future saying God is for us. This is how God proves that he is for us. Well, how do, how do we get this from this passage? Where does it come from? First point I want to make is that God sent the Son. If God is for us, how do we know? God sent his Son. And we read of that in verses 14 and 15 here. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. It is such a poetic, apt way of writing about the incarnation of Christ. He who was fully divine becomes man, remains divine, two distinct natures in one person, in order to save us from our sins. For God so loved the world. What did he do? He graciously, generously sent us the Son. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God communicates that he is for us because he sends his son on a rescue mission. It makes me think of Isaiah 5-4. We looked at that passage maybe about a month ago, and we'll return to Isaiah in the new year in our series. But you remember that account of the vineyard there in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 4. And God asks the question, what more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? How else can God demonstrate his supreme love for sinners except he sends the Son for us? Christ was sent, and he was sent into a context where he suffered and was rejected. Uh, that's in verse 11. Even his own people did not recognize him or know him. Now, verse 15 is a statement about Jesus' coming into the world at just the right time. God has orchestrated Christ's advent into the world just as his second advent, his return, will be orchestrated at the perfectly right time into the world. And so verse 15 serves to communicate that God is the Lord of history. 
and all of history serves his purpose to communicate that he is for his people. You know, we live uh, at the end of a cul-de-sac, and one time we went out our gate, we kind of noticed a, a commotion, and a little baby deer, a fawn, had tried to go through our neighbor's gate, and the front part of the fawn made it, but the back part got hung up. And so there the fawn was, hung up, stuck between the bars of the gate, couldn't back out of there, couldn't go forward. And so my neighbor, I don't know if this had ever happened before, but my neighbor seemed to know what to do. He covered the fawn's head so he could get close to the fawn without it going crazy, and then he bent the bars out enough for the fawn to get free. You know, you can't launch a rescue mission from a distance. And so what did God do to rescue those of us who are stuck in sin? He sent his son to be close to us. How close? His name is Emmanuel, God with us. By rescuing us in this way and sending Christ for us, God communicates he is for us. He loves his people. And he is gracious. We cannot perform a rescue from a distance. How close did Christ Get. Not only did he become flesh and dwell among us, Paul writing in 2 Corinthians 5.21 put it this way, Christ became sin for us, meaning that he became so closely associated with our sin that his atonement cleanses us from our sin and pays the penalty due to, us, due to God for our own sin. Psalm 34, 18 puts it this way. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He saves the crushed in spirit. This is our God. He is responsive to those of us who are brokenhearted. We have a God who loves us like that. Who frees us from the bars of sin when we get stuck. We have a God who loves us. Not loving us from a distance but loving us up close, incarnationally close. That's how close. God loves us. He is for us. And you can have tremendous confidence in your life if you're a Christian, if you place your trust in Christ. You can have tremendous confidence that no matter what you face, no matter how the effects of the fall or other people's sin splashes up on you or the fact that we live in a fallen world, no matter what happens to you, Christmas communicates that God is for us. How so? He sent the Son to be incarnationally close to us. And even in our most lonely moments, that doesn't change the fact that his name is Emmanuel, God with us. So don't be afraid of whatever you face. Know, know for certain God is for you. He sent the Son to prove that to you. Not only does God send the Son to communicate that he is for his people, but he also reveals himself. 
This is part of his grace. Look in verse 14. We, at the end of verse 14, we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father. And this is a communication of God's grace because God is not knowable to us unless he reveals himself. And what has he done? He has sent Christ that we might know the Father. That in seeing Jesus, we would know something of the character of the Father. We see Jesus through the pages of Scripture and especially the Gospels. So Jesus in his earthly ministry, his power, his miracles, all of it communicates the rescuing power and love of God and the character of God to us. So God reveals himself to us through the Son because he is for us. He is for us. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. See, we cannot know God except through Christ. We cannot know except through the Son, and the Son reveals to us who the Father is. To know Christ is to know God. And the fact that God sent his Son so that we could know the Father and his love, this should astound us. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to do that, yet he has done it to communicate. Again, God is for us. I think in seeing Christ revealing the Father, this is somewhat the difference between seeing a picture. If I showed you a picture of the Grand Canyon, or since we're in Texas, the Better Canyon, the Paladuro Canyon, if I showed you a picture of the canyon and I talked to you about it, that's one way to reveal the canyon. But what did God do? He went further in sending the sun. That's not looking at a picture. That's getting right up on the edge. Are your, are your knees getting weak? That's getting, right up on, that's getting right up on the edge of the canyon. And you feel and experience the majesty of the distance out and that distance down. How am I doing? Are you weak-kneed yet? <laughs> See, there's a difference. God didn't send us just a picture. He sent the Son, the second person of the Trinity, to us. This is the depths of the communication that God went to. The incarnation then is proof that God loves us and he is for us because God has given us a way to know him through the Son. No other world religion has anything like the Son of God incarnate ever. And it is a huge difference between Christianity. Christianity is not a religion among religions. Christianity is the only way. And the incarnation proves this. So, so far, what I've shown you is, I've shown you two reasons we've seen that how we can know that God is for us. So in those moments we doubt, or in our moments of loneliness, or hardship, or trial, or grief, how do we know God is for us? We know because he sent the Son. We know because he has revealed himself. And we know as well because he has given us grace. He has given us grace. This is in verse 16. For from his fullness, in other words, from Christ's full, fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. 
This is the superlative. It's a way of writing the superlative of grace. We have received grace upon grace. What is grace? It's, it's Christ's unmerited favor given to us. It's the fact that Christianity is more than just being about forgiven. Christianity is more than escaping hell. Christianity is a declaration through the imputation of Christ's righteousness given to us. Christ's righteousness once and for all given to us this morning. Perhaps you've already opened gifts or maybe you're looking forward to doing that. Nobody grabs the gift after you open it. Once and for all, this righteousness has been given to believers from God out of his grace. This is grace. We receive that which we do not deserve from God. And so, for from his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. Christ was incarnate to meet the demands of the law and fulfill the law. We read of that in verse 17. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth through Jesus Christ. Just as a man, Adam, messed it up, we needed another man to come to do it over again. Jesus, but the man had to be divine in order to meet the law's demands. To accomplish this, God sent his son. The incarnation is the up close and personal delivering of God's grace to sinners like us. I'll close with this, an account of uh, Army Captain Florent Groberg, a U.S. Army Captain who won the Medal of Honor when he was on patrol in Afghanistan. And his mission was to escort some VIPs to a village meetup, talk to some tribal chiefs, and their patrol, it was in a diamond formation with the important people, the VIPs in the middle. And Captain Groberg, he was on the outside, and he was looking for threats as they were moving towards their meetup place. And he noticed an individual began approaching the patrol. And he, of course, asked the individual to stop and to freeze and to not come any closer. And he realized that the individual was wearing an explosive vest. And so he knew he was already too close to just shoot him. So he grabbed him. He ran towards the danger, grabbed this individual, and dragged him away from the patrol. Of course, the bomb went off, and Captain Groberg was injured, he eventually lost his leg. Others were killed, but the VIPs were protected. And this is a picture of what Christ has done for us. You see, you have to be up close and personal with the enemy to win the Medal of Honor. You have to be up close and personal with the enemy to win our salvation. And this is what Christ has done for us. It's why we celebrate Christmas. Jesus did not serve from a distance. But he was sent by the Father because he is for us. And Jesus grabs sin and death and drags it away from us. And the damage from the explosion lands on him instead of us. He takes on the detonation meant for us. And it is through his death that we have life. In the incarnation, we fully see that. 
the love of God and the fact that God is for us. And when you think about how do we apply this, we love people best up close and personal, not through text, not through even phone calls, definitely not through email, and never through Facebook. We love people up close and personal. And I want to encourage you today, this week, in the new year, to be personal with people. Because God has been personal with you. He sent the very Son for you. Then, He made Himself known to you through the very character of the Son. And through the Son, we have received grace upon grace. And so we see God is for us, and it's because God is for us that we can have a Merry Christmas. Let's pray together. Lord, how thankful we are, indeed, that you have sent the Son for us. And we pray, would you inhabit the praises of your people this morning and today as we remember how good it is to have a Savior sent for us. He who can deliver us from danger. And we pray that we, in turn, would draw closer not only to you, but to those around us. As we love those who are lonely, as we reach out, as we communicate with others, let us do so in ways that showcase the goodness and the beauty of the gospel, we pray. And it's in Christ's name. Amen.